Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 283. It's titled, Why You Should Care About Carrie. I recently finished a book whose authors had the same editor at McGraw-Hill that I had for my book. So my editor sent it to me. I read it. Very intriguing. It's titled, The Rise of Carrie, The Dangerous Consequences of Volatility Suppression and the New Financial Order of Decaying Growth and Recurring Crisis. It's by Tim Lee, who runs an economics consultancy, Jamie Lee, who works for investment manager Jeremy Grantham, and Kevin Coldiron, who's a former hedge fund manager who teaches a financial engineering class at UC Berkeley. Here's their definition of carry. Carry trades make money when nothing happens. The carry trader receives a stream of income or profits, but is exposed to the risk of a sudden loss when a particular event occurs or the underlying asset value changes significantly. The carry is really that income stream or the profits that the trader earns over the life of the transaction. Carry is an example of a factor a broad, persistent driver of return. It's a factor because the investor is receiving compensation, the income stream, for bearing certain financial risk. In this case, the risk of incurring large losses when a specific financial event occurs. In other words, it's compensation for suffering through bad times. Now, it's somewhat similar to an insurance company that receives premium income and then pays out if certain events occur, such as a home fire. There are four characteristics of carry that distinguish them from traditional insurance. Leverage, a sawtooth return pattern, fluctuating liquidity, and short exposure to volatility. We'll go into detail on each of those because they'll help us understand what carry is, how investors can make money from carry, and what some of the risks and consequences are. The biggest difference that sets apart carry from writing an insurance policy or even just lending money in the debt markets is leverage. Carry traders use borrowed funds, or they invest in some type of financial contract or security where the potential loss is much greater than the amount of capital invested. So the losses are magnified. That means the investor is very sensitive to those losses. They can be wiped out. 
The leverage allows that income stream to be magnified and increases the income stream, but the potential losses are greater. A second characteristic of carry trades is a sawtooth return pattern. Steady profits that are punctuated by occasional large losses. That's how the authors describe it. There's other phrases. Masim Nicholas Taleb mentioned picking up nickels in front of the steamroller. Now, I don't know if he was the author of that phrase, but first time I read that was in The Black Swan. Another metaphor is up the stairs and down the elevator. You have this steady stream of income, but then some very large losses. The author's right. When the supply of new leverage into the carry trade runs out, price declines lead to forced selling, in turn leading to further price declines. There is a deleveraging cascade. Liquidity for sellers evaporates. Price behaviors briefly flips from mean reverting to momentum, downward momentum, and volatility explodes. The evaporation of liquidity is really that third characteristic of carry trades, that liquidity fluctuates. Liquidity is, as the authors state, the ease of transacting. A security is liquid if an investor can trade large amounts of the security quickly and cheaply. During the expansion phase of carry, there's ample liquidity. Investors are able to get in and out of specific contracts. And there's leverage available, the ability to borrow money. But during the contraction phase of carry, there's less liquidity. It becomes more difficult to trade the securities because everyone is rushing to the exits. And there's less credit available, the ability to borrow to continue the carry trade. A fourth attribute or characteristic of carry trades is short exposure to volatility. Carry trades make money if nothing happens. As a carry trader, you don't want sudden changes in prices. You don't want volatility because big changes in volatility mean the potential for large losses if those prices fall. That means carry traders are not long volatility. They are short volatility. Nassim Nicholas Taleb in his book Anti-Fragile points out that if you have less to lose than to gain, more upside than downside, then you like volatility. You're anti-fragile. Very little to lose, mostly gain. And the first step toward becoming anti-fragile is to reduce the downside exposure. Carry traders are the opposite. They're fragile. There isn't really upside other than that income stream, but there's huge downside because of the use of leverage and how liquidity evaporates when carry contracts, when there's a carry crash, when securities are falling in price. Here's some examples of carry trades. The classic one was currency, where a borrower borrows money in a low interest rate currency and then invests in a higher interest rate currency or in a country that, that has higher interest rates, but it's a different currency. 
leverage is involved. So the carry trader makes the spread. They're getting higher income investing in the country with higher interest rates, and they've raised capital by borrowing money in the country with lower interest rates. But if the currency where the trader is invested, earning interest income, if that currency weakens relative to the currency in which the trader borrowed, then the trader could lose money and it could offset that additional income they were receiving. So that's a carry trade with currency. Another carry trade is writing or selling put options on equity, equity indices, or buying exchange traded funds that do that. You receive premium income to provide protection against market losses. But if those losses occur and the stock market or the stock or the index falls below what's known as the strike price, then the carry trader loses money. There's a carry trade where you write or sell put options on volatility itself. Volatility, how, how an asset class moves up and down. With call and put options on the S&P 500, really all options, there is an implied volatility baked into the price of those options. In the case of the S&P 500 index options, that volatility is called VIX, V-I-X. And you can invest in VIX futures where you anticipate the future price or the future value of volatility. Or you can invest in options contracts on that volatility itself, VIX. And I'll give you an example of a VIX trade that blew up here in a few minutes. Another example is the carry trader can sell credit default swaps that protects against a borrower defaulting. So a investor might want to hedge exposure to a particular company and would buy credit default swaps and the carry trader would sell them. And there is implicit leverage in that credit default swap because the potential exposure or losses is so much greater than the value of the underlying contract. Now, in the book, they give some broader examples of carry trades, which we typically don't think of as carry trades, but it does apply. One is leveraged buyouts, where a private equity manager and their limited partners borrow money at low interest rates, and then they invest the capital in the equity of a company or a number of companies. And if they can earn more in those companies, greater than the cost of debt, then they earn a profit. And from that token, a a traditional margin trade where you borrow money to invest in stocks and earn the dividend income could also be considered a carry trade. And that's why it's so difficult to figure out the extent of this. But those attributes, the leverage, the absence of liquidity when the carry trade crashes, the sawtooth pattern where potential losses, huge relative to the income, and then short volatility, don't want prices to change. Some of these examples, you could argue maybe they're not carry, leverage buyouts, for example. Or they even give the example of companies that issue debt that borrow money and buy back their stock. Now, that, in my mind, that's a bit of a stretch. That's not really carry. But they believe it is, the authors. The biggest investors in carry are hedge funds. 
as well as sovereign wealth funds. There are way more hedge funds than there ever used to be, and the assets from sovereign wealth funds, which are funds that are sponsored by a particular country, is much greater than it's ever been. And they are willing to enter into carry trades. Why do carry trades exist? Well, some investors want protection to hedge against bad events. They're willing to pay a premium for that protection. Carry trades in and of themselves aren't bad. It's when carry trades get so big that they start to drive the underlying economy and the financial markets. Here's what the authors write. In the financial markets, the most successful that certain types of carry trades are, the stronger the returns that they provide, the more capital will be attracted into those carry trades. This in itself will eventually create the conditions for the demise of the trade, in which case there will be catastrophic losses. They continue, an imbalance will come to require continuing growth of the outstanding carry trade for, it, for its financing. This situation is necessarily unstable and unsustainable. Once the carry trade begins to unravel, excessive leverage ensures that the unraveling occurs rapidly. Investors are seeing that a particular trade is making money, and they pile in, and the leverage gets higher and higher. And for a while, everything goes well until there's a reversal. Here's an example. In 2016 and 2017, the net short position, traders that were short volatility, expected volatility, VIX to stay low, kept increasing. I looked at a chart by Ned Davis Research, and you can see a downward slope as more and more short positions in the VIX. And VIX itself kept getting lower and lower. The spot VIX was single digit. But then on February 6, 2018, what has come to be known as Volmageddon, VIX spiked 20 points in a day. And one of the most popular ways for retail investors to participate in this, to short volatility, was the Velocity Shares Daily Inverse VIX Short-Term Note. This was an exchange-traded note. We discussed ETNs back in episode 273. It blew up spectacularly. Its assets shrank from $1.9 billion to $63 million in one trading session. A 99% loss, essentially more than that. A Bloomberg article that discussed what happened with this particular ETN, XIV, says it was a victim of its own success. Its strong performance and inflows from 2017 had given the product immense heft and the power to have an effect on the underlying markets it was tracking, primarily VIX futures. As it grew bigger, its potential daily rebalancing needs intensified. In this instance, that meant it needed to buy more VIX future contracts to maintain an even exposure to the index, further stoking demands for futures. Volatility was suppressed because of this one ETN and other traders that were also shorting volatility. Chris Cole, he's the founder of Artemis Capital Management. I quoted him in episode 159 
which was titled What You Need to Know About Volatility. He said, the volatility spike in February is widely misunderstood. It was not a volatility event, but instead a liquidity crisis, resulting in rapid repricing of tail risk. Traders were not buying options because they thought volatility would increase. They were buying options because they were facing insolvency. The real story was the fact that you could move the entire market by putting in a relatively small order. Liquidity was so thin the day after. It's one of the attributes of a carry trade, a lack of liquidity. On the way in, there's lots of it. On the way out, not very much. Before we continue this discussion on carry trades, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Why do carry traders continue to trade if we can get these huge volatility spikes and catastrophic losses? There's a blog post from 2017, right before Wolmageddon, on the Liberty Street Economics blog. It's a blog for the New York Fed. It's titled, The Low Volatility Puzzle, Is This Time Different? It was written by David Oluka, Daniel Roberts, and Peter Van Tassel. And they looked at the pricing of volatility and VIX, the future curves, what the future expectation for volatility was a month from then, a year from then. And they wrote, on average, extremely low volatility today predicts low volatility in the future, not higher. We find no evidence that being in a low volatility environment raises the probability of jumping to a high volatility state. That was one of the points I made back in episode 159, what you need to know about volatility. Low volatility breeds low volatility. And so as a carry trader, the assumption is that, well, the good times will continue. We'll continue to collect that income stream and the potential losses I'll be able to get out before then. But we can see when that cascade occurs, Liquidity dries up and it's very, very difficult to get out. One of the central themes of the book, The Rise of Carry, is the role of central banks in encouraging more carry trades. 
And the way that central banks like the Federal Reserve, Bank of England, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, the way they communicate, such as we're going to keep interest rates low for the foreseeable future, provides carry traders the confidence they need to maintain their trades. In 2015, January 2015, the Swiss National Bank, for several years, it had capped the rate of the Swiss franc, 1.2 francs per euro, keeping the exchange rate fairly stable. And that predictability allowed for the carry trade between the Swiss franc, the euro, potentially other currencies, to grow for four years. And then they did a complete U-turn. They said, no, we're not going to do a cap anymore. And the Swiss franc appreciated 30% in one chaotic trading day. Carry traders, they suffered big. It was called Franco-Geddon. The other role central banks have is when a crisis hit, they tried to reduce or mitigate the impact by providing additional liquidity, encouraging more lending and credit by lowering interest rates. And this has the potential to minimize losses for some carry traders so that they survive another day. The idea that potentially central banks encourages more carry, moral hazard, because they will step in as the lender of last resort and seek to keep stability in the market. One of the fascinating questions in the book is, is the Federal Reserve and other central banks the biggest carry traders of all? Consider quantitative easing or asset purchase programs that the Federal Reserve and other central banks have undertaken. They're highly levered. The Federal Reserve creates bank reserves out of thin air. They pay a low interest rate on that to the banks, and they invest those funds by buying higher-yielding treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Federal Reserve is significantly levered. And they're earning an income stream on their securities. And by doing so, they're trying to keep interest rates down. Just being a part of the market encourages more carry trades. We talk about the VIX and the net short position. How leading up to Volmageddon in early 2018, the number of future contracts that were positioned Selling short volatility, expecting volatility to stay low, was very high. Today, it's even higher. And the big increase in net short positions in volatility began in September 2019, right after the Federal Reserve announced that it was creating a facility to enter into repurchase agreements because of the events that we discussed where the repo rate soared. But since mid-September 2019, the Federal Reserve balance sheet has increased by over 11%. Still about 7% less than its peak in 2017, but its balance sheet is expanding. Volatility is much lower than it was prior to September 2019. And there's a lot more investors that are short the VIX. What then is the problem? with too much carry. Well, first, it increases the systemic leverage 
the amount of debt outstanding, which is potentially deflationary. As there's more and more debt, and when there's a carry crash, that debt has to be repaid. Or investors lose a bunch of money and they're less willing to spend. There's more hoarding. Companies lower prices. Debt is deflationary. It allows the economy to expand quickly for a while, but eventually that debt has to be repaid. And a carry regime where volatility is being suppressed, potentially by actions, or at least a communication by central banks, encourages more and more debt, which can harm the economy over the long term. The second problem is the suppressed volatility, the predictability, the idea that volatility will continue to stay low, that asset prices won't fluctuate very much. It leads to greater risk-taking and a misunderstanding of risk. Asset classes that are very risky suddenly don't seem as risky. An example of that is this Velocity Shares Daily Inverse VIX Short-Term Note, XIV. Paul Britton, he's a founder of Capstone Investment Advisors, a firm that trades volatility. He mentions at the time, or right before then, he was taking an Uber ride, and the driver told him he should check out this company that's doing really well, XIV. Wasn't even a company. It was an exchange traded note, this short volatility, but a misunderstanding of what the products are. Additional risk-taking because the idea that volatility will stay low and that central banks will have carry traders' backs. An expansion of carry trade can distort the economy. The author's right. The cycle of carry bubble and carry crash is associated with ever greater leverage in the financial markets and in the economy. More leverage means a structure of volatility that further incentivizes carry, and the carry regime goes on. This carry regime then determines the course of the economy, creating a pattern of economic growth driven by consumption and capital allocation driven by speculation. It's difficult to determine how big the carry trade is. Again, in and of itself, it's not bad. There are those investors that want to hedge or protect against certain events and those that are willing to provide it, that provide that protection. But when the carry trade gets so big and encourages more and more and risk gets distorted, the perception of risk, huge debt balances, it potentially leads to some systemic crisis. Here's what they write. Of the various features of the carry regime that have been discussed in this book, the most important for investors to understand and consider are that the carry regime is associated with underlying pressure toward deflation and that the carry regime significantly owes its existence to central banks and the way that they have managed the modern fiat money system. These features, which are crucial, suggest that the absolute end of the carry regime is likely to be marked by either systemic collapse that ends the dominant role of central banks or galloping inflation or both. If a crash results in neither of these two things happening, then the likelihood is that the carry regime continues and there will be a new carry bubble. Two of the forces that will influence what happens in the next decade that we talked about in episode 281 is money and trust. Trust in the central banks. Trust in fiat money. 
If that trust dissipates and we get a systemic collapse, then potentially we get into an inflationary regime instead of deflationary. We'll see. What do we do about it? One is recognize that carry is happening and it is inherently fragile. Markets will see more Balmageddon's, big spikes in volatility. Carry crashes at any time, severe enough to impact the economy. And yet that suppressed volatility. Low volatility breeds low volatility, so it becomes very, very difficult to predict when a carry crash will occur. As investors, we need to understand the investments that we're, we're participating in. Question one in my book, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, is what is it? The Uber driver that bought XIV because he heard it was a great company. We need to be able to explain investments. Question four is what is the downside? The downside of an investment consists of its maximum potential loss and the personal financial harm caused by that loss. We need to recognize that we could get some big spikes in volatility and big sell-offs in asset classes at any time. And that doesn't mean that we try to avoid any loss, but just recognize what these potential drawdowns in risk assets, what the financial harm is to us personally in terms of our, our ability to sustain our lifestyle. Now, we can take positions to benefit from carry crashes. I have bought put options on ETFs that if a carry crash occurs, liquidity could dry up, particularly in the bank loan space and the high-yield bond space. So I have put options on the Invesco Senior Loan ETF, BKLN, and the iShares iBox High Yield Bond ETF, HYG. These are experimental positions because one of the challenges with trying to, to take advantage of a carry crash where you benefit from a spike in volatility is it's the exact opposite of the carry trade where you lose a little bit of money each month. I've lost money on those put options. I don't like to lose money. And we haven't had the volatility spike. So in some regards, potential big gain, but you lose money along the way. The carry trade is you're making money every month with potential for big losses. But there are some positions you can take. It's difficult to maintain those positions. I don't like most investors. We're not wired to lose money each and every month as a hedge. Nassim Nicholas Taleb is very comfortable doing it. The carry trade is real. It's influencing markets, potentially influencing the economy. The central bank is very involved, perhaps the biggest carry trade ever through their asset purchase programs. Just understanding it and recognizing it helps us not to panic, but be aware that it's out there. That's episode 283. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. And while you're there, please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. It's the email I send to you each week with the links to that week's episode, along with an essay on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes to your, your inbox. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. 
I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.